Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 262nd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the greatest songwriters of all time, a one-woman hit machine for more than 35 years who has worked with almost every major singer of that time span, from Barbara Streisand and Cher to Celine Dion and Whitney Houston to Beyonce and Lady Gaga, and who is responsible for giant hits like How Do I Live, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, If I Could Turn Back Time, Rhythm of the Night, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, Because You Love Me, Don't Turn Around, Unbreak My Heart, Can't Fight the Moonlight, and so many others. The great Diane Warren, of whom the legendary music industry executive Clive Davis once said, quote, You know how people are always saying no one writes songs like they used to? Well, Diane is someone who does. Close quote. Warren was the most successful songwriter of the 1990s, has been called the High Priestess of Heartbreak, and is virtually synonymous with the power ballad, but has found success with almost every genre. She has had 32 songs crack the Billboard Hot 100 chart and nine top it. She was the first songwriter to simultaneously have songs at number one and number two on the U.S. charts. And she was the first songwriter to simultaneously have seven songs by seven different artists on the singles chart at the same time. Furthermore, she has written more than 100 songs that have been featured in movies, 10 of which brought her Best Original Song Oscar nominations, but none yet a win. Meanwhile, she has won Grammy, Emmy, Golden Globe, and Critics' Choice Awards, each for different songs. She also won the Billboard Music Award for Songwriter of the Year in 1997, 1998, and 1999, was named the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers Pop Songwriter of the Year in 1990, 1991, 1993, 1998, and 1999, and their Country Songwriter of the Year in 2000, and she was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2001. Today, at 62, she is still going strong and pumping out songs as great as ever. And over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, she and I discussed all of the above, plus much more, including how she emerged from a troubled childhood and first began working in the music biz, the origin stories of her greatest hits, several of which almost never were, and what inspired the trilogy of call-to-action songs that have accounted for her three most recent Oscar noms, Till It Happens to You, from 2015's The Hunting Ground, performed by Lady Gaga, Stand Up for Something, from 2017's Marshall, performed by Andre Day and Common, and from the 2018 Ruth Bader Ginsburg bio-doc RBG, which itself has been nominated for the Best Documentary Feature Oscar, the song I'll Fight, performed by Jennifer Hudson. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Diane, thank you so much for coming in. It's good to see you as always. And this is a little different than most of these because usually when somebody comes on this podcast, I don't really previously know them, don't have much to do with them. I feel like <laughs> thanks to 
the long suffering period that you've had with the Oscars, number, yeah. you know, 10 different We're old nominees. Friends We're now. old friends. So <laughs> I've only been around for the last four, I think. Before that was before my time. So oh, wow. I feel like I've known you longer than Yes, me. but it's been fun and we'll get through all of it. But I guess to yeah. begin with, let's just say for the record, where were you born and raised and what did your parents do for a living? I'm from Van Nuys, California. I'm, I'm a local, not a lot of us. My dad sold insurance. My mom was a housewife. And was music a big presence in the house growing up? Yeah, I have two older sisters. One's 11 years older than me. One's 14 years older. So, you know, I was born and they were already playing records, you know, yeah. of the day. And my mom and dad listened to a lot of show tune albums. Mm -hmm. So I got to hear, I had such a, I heard such a wide variety of, yeah. uh, of music, you know, just being born. And, you know, when did you up. first sort of arrive at the realization that songs actually come from somewhere as opposed to out of thin air that there are actually well, they people don't, who they, write they, these. I mean, they don't come out of thin air? Oh. Um, you know, I didn't ever think about it until I looked on a, on a, a single. Remember, kids, there used to be things called singles. Yes. There were 45s. They were like these round things. And they had little parentheses with songwriters' names on them. So you don't have to go to Spotify and find the wrong information. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember seeing um, the song Up on the Roof. Yeah. And it said Goffin King. I'm like, oh, those are the songwriters. I, I don't know if maybe I asked a question. I go, I want to, I want to be in there. I want to be in the parentheses. Yes, because they would put the songwriters' names yeah. in parentheses. Yeah, that's great. And it just, I didn't want to be the singer or the artist. Like right. even from when I was a kid, I go, I, I'm going to be that. And I think I was kind of dabbling, you know, on my little guitar that my dad brought me back from Mexico at the time. Well, so that's interesting though that you know a lot of kids want to grow up and be the voice that yeah. everyone's hearing. Why do you think? I no mean, one wants to hear my voice. No, I'm but <laughs> even at that point, you were you were not at all thinking it would no. be cool to also sing the songs I want to write? I didn't think for one second it would be cool to sing the songs I wanted to write. I mean, I didn't have any desire to get on a stage or be in a group or, you know, anything like that. I kind of like always loved the idea of, you know, just being the one writing the songs. What was the first album or single or whatever that you remember buying yourself? By myself or having my, my mom make oh, yeah, making your mom buy meet the meet the Beatles by the yeah. Beatles. Okay, yeah, that was the first album I ever bought. And I think I remember you saying once that you also went and saw them live a few times out I, here in LA. Right? The benefit of having older sisters, I saw the Beatles twice at the Hollywood Bowl and Dodger Stadium. Oh, wow, and was that sort of a, a major experience for oh, you? Oh yeah, but you know what? You, there was a lot of screaming going on. Yeah. I remember at the Hollywood Bowl. I understand why didn't they? I think they kind of quit and um, decided to not tour. But you know what's crazy? When you think of this, this is kind of mind blowing. It still blows my mind. The whole Beatles catalog that we know of yeah. in America was seven years. That's nuts. Isn't that crazy? So from when I, I want to hold your hand till Let It Be, or it was yeah, se seven years from Magical Mystery Tour and Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road, all that stuff. I mean, that catalog of, of that creativity in those songs, it's kind of... And then, you, like, nowadays, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm doing my album. It'll be out in a few years. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Well, so... When they do albums. Yeah, right. So, basically, you're growing up surrounded by, you know, a music revolution growing up in yeah. the 60s. Cause I you've grew got, up in the best time. Right? I mean, because yeah. you got Beatles, you got Motown, Motown, you got all this stuff. Everything. Like, to me, the that's truly the golden age of songwriting. And so, was that the reason why it sounds like you were not particularly diligent about schoolwork. You were a little yeah. bit of a uh, acting out as a juvenile, rebel and so, like, juvenile, you know, delinquent. juvenile delinquent to the yeah. point where literally it sounds like you went to juvenile hall a couple yeah, times. A you times. ran away once for a few yeah. weeks. Like what I, was I came back because I missed my cat. You missed your cat. Yeah. So, but you were literally, you know, when you did run away at 14, you were with a I wasn't a, a bad rough... kid. I did. Yeah, I was with some rough people. But, I, I was so staying with bank robbers and stuff. This? 
I just didn't like, I kicked out, of, I was getting kicked out of school for the second time. I, I was kicked out of Mulholland Junior High and I went to a Northridge Junior High and I was caught mid flipping off the teacher. <laughs> Not <laughs> surprise, you. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, that's it, you're going to the principal. And I knew I was gonna, I was kind of, if I did one thing, I was getting kicked out. And then my friend goes, you can stay with some friends of mine, you know? She didn't kind of tell me they happen to be like bank robbers on the run from the law <laughs> and heroin addicts and. So you, literally, while yeah. you're 14, you're yeah, with these I, kids. Yeah, I stayed with these people. But I, you're I, saying I it was... I was, was close to 15, 14 or 15. And yeah, it was just, I was just like embarrassed. I didn't, I was getting kicked out of school again. So I stayed with these. I mean, someone was shooting up heroin and asked me to hold the thing. Uh, and I'm scared of needles. And I almost fell down and, you know, passed out. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to be around these people. This is not where I'm supposed to be. But the thing that you were running from was having responsibilities other than focusing on yeah. writing songs, which yeah, is what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was like going to school. And I was, just, I was always a rebel. I just want to sit in those classrooms and do shit I didn't care about. Yeah. You know, I mean, nothing interested me except music. Hi, so what same got right you, at least for a little while, back on the straight and narrow? You had a little incentive program. Have I, have I ever been? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what got me back? Well, okay, I missed my cat. Yes. <laughs> didn't your dad kind of have a lure for you to do a little better, to aim a little higher. Yes. He said if I had one semester with nothing less than a C, because you got to understand, I had Ds and Fs, yeah, and yeah. a C was a good semester. <laughs> <laughs> so for one semester in my entire life, I got As and Bs and like, you know, maybe a C or something. Mm -hmm. So I got nothing. So I kind of just, I got that Martin 12 string, which is in my studio And still. this was an expensive, nice It's a $500 guitar. guitar and, that, and that's in, still an expensive guitar. Yeah, and you we're know? talking about like, that was one that you knew in order to write songs, this was what you should have? Well, no, it was just something I wanted. Like, okay. I wanted a 12-string guitar. Right. And I wanted a Martin 12-string guitar. And then you also got a rehearsal space, right? Well, <laughs> I got an involuntary rehearsal yeah. space. My dad, like, you know, my parents would hear me. It's like, it's like what I do right now. I'm, I'm writing a song. I'm just playing the same thing over and over and just changing it and just kind of, you know, playing around with it. And it, if, if you're not me, you probably want to kill yourself. <laughs> and um, my parents, you know, did. And they got me a shack in the back of the like house. A shed or something, <laughs> A right? shed, yeah. yeah. With a, I put a little heater when it was freezing. I would just, <laughs> I know. It's, but that you was know. your, that was your. I was happy to go in there. Yeah. I would go there and I'd work diligently. I'd go there right after school and I'd sit there till, you know, I went to sleep. Well, yeah. it sounds like even at that early point, let's say 14 years old, you're pumping yeah. out Three songs a day. I was reading. Yeah, it. yeah, something like this. Maybe a song a day. Great, they, no, I they mean, were. That was, that's pretty. I a, thought they were great. Pretty disciplined. And how though would you say? You know, you weren't somebody who it sounds like had taken music lessons necessarily yeah. of any sort. So how did you even know how to construct the song that you were writing? I think. I mean, I taught myself. I I, I taught myself a little music theory. You know, and I I took one class. That I kind of paid attention when I wasn't totally stoned, mm -hmm. smoking <laughs> pot on the lawn in high school. There was a great music teacher named Mr. Waddell in my high school. I took one class, and I know a lot of other people that took his class that really learned a lot. I learned a little bit, not much. <laughs> but, I, but I knew chords, I kind of taught myself all that stuff. And you know, I'm not a great musician, but I, I can get around, I can write a song, I know, you know, <laughs> chords and stuff. I can figure it out. And there was enough promise there that, I mean, what did your parents make of this? Well, there wasn't promise when my dad took me to a guitar teacher though. Because okay. when, when I was, maybe about 11 or 12. So my dad brought me a little guitar from Tijuana and I was going to take guitar lessons. And I didn't want to do fucking scales. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to make up my own songs. Right. And I went back the next week and the, the guy told my dad, please don't bring your daughter back next week. She has no future in music. Oh She's tone deaf. <laughs> Wish I remember his name. That would be great to f find out what he's yeah. up to now. Yeah. What are you yeah. up to? 
<laughs> but so, but it was just a few years later. By the time you know you now had this nicer guitar and you were doing your own thing, it seems like your mother was a little bit skeptical, but your dad believed in you. Yeah, right? my mom would say things like, "That song's really good. Take it to Ralph's and see if they'll give you groceries." <laughs> <laughs> like, mm. but my dad was more of a dreamer. Yeah, you know. And he really, like, he really believed in me, and, and he would take me to publishers, you know. And well, explain what that actually looks like, though. So you're in L.A. Here's what it area. looks like. Here's yeah. what it looks like. There's music publishers. So my dad would take me to see one. Here's what one looked like. We had a meeting, and the publisher, who I still know, his name is Rick Shoemaker. Mm-hmm. He's one of my Facebook friends still. Yeah. And I remember my dad took me to see him, and he really liked the songs we played. And he goes to my dad, you know, you, know, you need to go and, and demo these songs up. And my dad goes... If you like, think they're so fucking great, why don't you spend your own fucking money? <laughs> he's saying that to this guy, yeah, to Rick. Yeah, that was awesome. That's great. <laughs> but you're basically beating the pavement for a good decade, essentially, yeah. while it was interspersed with a little bit of college here yeah, and I mean, there. I, college for me was, you know, I took up space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you take him college space. Yeah. My dad said if I went to college, he'd help support me. Okay. So I went to Pierce Junior College for two years. Okay. It's funny, there was a songwriting class, you know, not that you can learn songwriting in a class, but a guy named Buddy Kay, a very famous old-time songwriter, taught it, and I became his pet. He just he loved me. And then from there, I went to Cal State Northridge. And that's where you were breaking into rooms. And I was stuff, breaking right? into the practice rooms. Right, because because there was what, piano. Well, I, I yeah. taught myself piano. Okay. So I was teaching myself piano, like went around the Pierce time, because I read somewhere that the, a piano is the best songwriting instrument. Mm-hmm. I go, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn. I'm too OCD to take piano lessons, and <laughs> you know what I mean. I just can't concentrate on it. Right. It's funny, the certain kind of OCD people can super concentrate though. So with my songs and stuff, I could, I could spend hours on one line, like literally. And the same thing with, with piano. So I, I kind of taught myself just the basics, chords and things like that. And so at Cal State Northridge, they had some really nice pianos and I would just break <laughs> into those rooms. And they gave me an award a few, like about five or six years ago. And they gave me a key, because I told them like, why are you giving me an award? I just break into your rooms. Right. I probably broke the doors and, and stuff, but they gave me an award and a key. And they go, anytime you can come in. Come well, in thank you. Yeah. I'm like in a, it was a distinguished alumni. I was like, I wanted to say like, but don't you know, I'm a, not only a college dropout, but I, I vandalized your, your, yeah, your, your um, practice That's rooms. That's funny. Yeah. So eventually, though, you dropped out entirely from college. You focused, again, fully on getting into the business. Yeah, and- but I always was. Even I was always focused on getting the business. Yeah. You know, I would go to restaurants and listen to people if they were talking about music. I'd go, oh, I'm a songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? One of those. <laughs> well, so, but what happened in, in 1983 where for the first time, you're basically employed by Jack White, not to be confused with another not, Jack White. Not White Stripes, a very German Jack German White. German producer who yeah. I guess was working with. Laura Branigan. Well, but first, though, he he's, didn't he have a relationship with Arista, which was Clive Davis, right? He was. Well, it was Arista Publishing more uh, than Clive. Oh, okay. So, he, he, so he, his publishing company was administered by Arista. And he's looking for, he has sort of like a team of writers that are what, working to touch up pieces, you know, songs? No, he, had, he, had, he signed a couple of American writers, and, and I was one of them. And the first thing he had me do was like write lyrics to a Lord, you know, something called Solitaire. So I know that was technically my first, you know, top 10 hit, but yeah. I, I really don't look at it that way because it was like, you know, but it, but you know what, he, he did sign me. He was paying me extremely minimally. He got all my publishing. It was, you know, in hindsight, not a, I mean, it was a terrible deal, but <laughs> had he not done that, had he not signed me, and I had nothing going at the time, and had that not happened, a woman named Linda Blum at Arista wouldn't have hooked me up with Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, you know? Right, which,
I was I can't remember it was a Laura Brown again song that, okay. that wasn't a single and then you know after that you know through his relationship with Arista Publishing I did the song for Last Dragon yes you well know? before we get there though oh. let's talk about you know I understand that you're saying Solitaire was sort of a for hire assignment as opposed yeah. to something you but this was a French song that needed American yeah. English lyrics yeah basically eventually. So you turn it in, goes to number seven on the Billboard yeah, charts. Yeah. And the biggest legacy of that in some ways is that because of the fact that you were sort of screwed out of the payment of the royalties or whatever of that song. Not just that song. No, I mean, and so others well, with Yeah, because he was. Yeah. And you know what? I've learned to, I've become friends with him, but yeah. at the time we, were, we weren't yeah. all that friendly. You know, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm grateful to him because without, sure. you know, yeah, so he wasn't always that nice and stuff. And, and he was, they were late on some, you know, payments or some mm-hmm. accounting. And my lawyer goes, you know, if he does it, if, he, if he's late again, you know, we could get out of the contract. I'm like, goody. Yeah. Because, you, know, you know, I tried to sit down with him because after Rhythm of the Night, I recouped, you know, thousands of times over. Yeah. It was like paying me, you know, $250 a week right. and I, I, hardly anything to do my demos. And, right. and that song was a massive hit. And I go, just, hey, just give me a little piece of my own publishing. Right. You know, I've earned that and he wouldn't do it. And then he kept missing accounting periods and stuff. And so I left him and he sued me. And I was getting all these offers with big publishers to sign there right? because of the lawsuit with him. And then I remember, and this is the best thing ever happened to me. My lawyer goes, well, you have to keep your publishing. I go, but I don't want to keep my publishing. I'm, I'm being offered like, you know, a million dollars from Chapel or whatever right. company. And they're all coming after me. And then she goes, no, no, you have to keep it. What kind of, you know, you should come up with a name of a publishing company. Right. And I go, well, I had a couple ideas. I said, what about real songs? R-E-A-L-S-O-N-G-S. And surprisingly, no one had that, which is, you know, you would have thought a film company would have R-E-E-L right. or something. But no, I got it. And so just to explain back. for somebody who's listening who may not understand, normally if you're writing for another publisher essentially it's going to usually be like 50 50 split of yeah proceeds. but this wasn't this when my deal with him was he got was all even, the publishing he got 100 yeah he got 100 percent. you know so that was know. terrible yeah i mean that that was okay to start there where yeah. i was because I, I was nobody you right. know that's the thing to, for people to remember when you when you're starting yeah you can't expect everything right you know because i was nobody I, i'd never had any success but it wasn't even uh, your intention to have 100 per you were happy to I do 50 50 yeah. but it works out you probably yeah. saved a, a lot of money definitely yeah. saved a lot of money by having your own thing because you keep 100 percent. i never i never looked back and, right. and when i did that and i and actually i was like smart about it too because you know, so it dragged on a bit, and and my dad was helping pay the lawyer bills and all that. You know that that shit's expensive. Yeah. And and I remember we had to go to, to one court appearance, and I remember seeing him. I thought, you know what, I'm going to shock him. I mean, it's one of the few times in my life I've worn a dress. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Like, oh, is this how right. do you wear these? Right. And I just was very nice. And I was like, Hi, Jack. How are you? Very nice because it was not like you asshole. You right. know, none, none of that. And I said, Why don't you and I just get together tomorrow and work this out and instead of spending all our money on lawyers yeah. literally the next day we worked it out amazing it was it was settled but so what happened in the years between solitaire which is 83 and 88 which is when real songs came along is that you independently were now pumping out major songs starting with rhythm of the night yeah which was as you said for the last dragon a barry gordy movie performed the song by Debarge. It went the all the way. The video was done in front of a porn shop. And it, looked, it didn't look. If you see the video now, it looks really happy and very Disney-ish. But. Well, that, and so the vi- the song though goes to number three, and I guess hit all over the world too. Hit all, all over the world. world. Yeah. And essentially, you were by that point moving towards being your own 
boss, even though yeah. you were still under. I was always a self-starter. And well, that, that was my first words and music song I wrote by myself, too, that I that I had a hit with. So that was really special. I guess what I'm unclear about is, so the argument with Jack was that after Solitaire, you want to keep doing your own stuff. So like Rhythm of the oh, Night, no, you no did problem. on your own. Yeah, yeah. There, there was no problem with him about me writing my own songs. I wasn't signed to him just to do like lyrics. So it was only for like touching up or things that he that gave you. That was just you. a couple of things that I that uh, he had so me do. So it was still solo. like, it was still just to write songs and he'd own the songs. So now though, the when you're doing your own thing with starting, let's say, with Rhythm of the Night and going forward, where does the discipline, for somebody who didn't have much discipline with academics or with other things... No, Mike, but are you kidding me? No, when I knew what I was doing, yeah. I've been this way since I was like 14. Okay. Once I... No, this is like... I've been disciplined. Even Well, though, let's talk about what your day looks like since then. 12 hours a day in, in the office by your own... start out with a coffee bean. Coffee bean to <laughs> that. But 12 hours... Six days a week, you might take off Sunday sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And then but I don't, I'm not sitting there 12 hours a day writing okay. like full on 12 hours. I yeah. mean, I go in and in the morning, I sit at my keyboard, sometimes my guitar. You yeah. know, and I, I morning is my favorite time to write. Mm -hmm. Just I feel fresh that yeah. you know in the morning, and then I'll might have a meeting or you know what I mean. So I'm doing other things too. But for like 35 years, yeah, you've been pumping out on average what a song a week. A song a week. I do the same thing. The weird thing is, it's like. Yeah, I, I live in a nicer house. Yeah, I drive a nicer car, but I still haven't cleaned my office in 30 years. <laughs> you call and it the cave, right? It is, it is. You know who gave it that name was Robert Hilburn. Oh, yeah? Of the, L, of the LA Times. He used to be the head music critic. He, he dubbed it that. But I do the same thing. I, I haven't stopped doing what I do. Like, I don't chill out at all. I don't rest on any laurels at all. You know, some people get writer's block or things like that. It doesn't seem like you do. No, I, I can get stuck on a song, but, you know, where's your wood? Some in my head. You know, I don't really get a lot of writer's blocks. I, I think it's kind of like I keep the machines going. I think if you stop and go, you know, I'm going to take a couple months, then I think right. it might be hard to gear get back, back in. Yeah. I wouldn't even know how, because to me, it's it's like breathing. Right. And this is what I do. So I, what I, for you, though, has tended, maybe it's different once in a while, but generally, what comes first, music or lyrics? Who's who's the famous, God, Sammy what? Sammy Khan. Yeah. He had an answer to that. It's not the same as my answer. Someone asked Sammy Khan that he goes, he said the check. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a famous story. That's but, good. but for me, it's it's sometimes it's a title. Yeah. Sometimes it's sitting at a at a keyboard, at my piano or, or or my keyboards or a guitar playing a chord progression. It's never sounds, lyrics first. It's never lyrics. First. No, I wouldn't even know how to write a whole lyric and do music. But to is it. that totally true? Because I've heard of I've heard stories that you would be at a restaurant and hear somebody talking about something and that's yes. a springboarding Yes, that's point. a title and that's an idea for a song. Okay, so the, but it's like I wouldn't sit and write a whole lyric got and then it, write it. music to it. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Okay. So yeah, I'll hear someone say something and, you know, just go, oh, that's, a, that's a song title or, you know, or someone, a friend's going through a really hard time and I go, tell me more. And they're going, no, but you're not even listening to what I'm saying. All you care about is your song. I go, no, I really care about you. Tell me, so what did you, were you feeling? Right. And then when I finished it, one of my friends, my friend Risa, I was like playing her, uh, like she was, went through this really horrible breakup and I was getting all these ideas for the song. So <laughs> so she was, she she's was in the room. I played it for her and she started crying uh -huh. and I go, oh, great. She goes, just, it's great that I'm crying. I go, no, no, the song's working. <laughs> so, but she was cool. She got That's it. That's funny. So, you know, we've talked about the fact that I guess Ghostbusters, Last Dragon. By this point in the mid '80s, you're starting to write songs specifically for movies. And is writing a song for a movie different than writing a song generally? Do you need to see the movie first? Do you need to know where they want to use your song in I, a movie? I could just hear the con like I I could see the movie. I could read the script. I could see you know I did something recently where where the director was just telling me 
I didn't even read the script yet, but he was explaining it so beautifully. And I just got the whole picture of it that I wrote a great song from that, you know, from what he told me about it. You know, here's an interesting thing. When I was in, at Cal State Northridge, I wasn't really a music major. I was almost like a film major mm-hmm. because I kept taking all these movie classes. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I didn't have to do anything but see movies. Right. But so, you probably through osmosis. I, I always say that. I yeah. think by sitting in that back... I'm always in the back so I could like jot, jot things down. I think by osmosis, by seeing that, I think I really did get an education in that. In film yeah. music, yeah. yeah. I mean, but so if some of your songs are used in a dramatic point in a movie, some of them are end credits, yeah. when you're working on it, you don't need to know where they want to use it? No, I just get inspired. Okay. You, know, and you hope they use it in it, you know, and sometimes they don't they use it at the end. How often do they specifically tell you how they want to use it? Like, hey, we, we're going to have, I know that certain movies, they'll say, like, this is going to be after somebody dies It's not suddenly. usually that specific. It's not. You know, unless, it's just gonna, unless I know it's just going to be the end song or something. Right. But then even then, you just hope that, well, and I always try to talk them, can you get it in there, too? So <laughs> can you put it in the score, too? Oh, they, yeah. You know? And which does sometimes happen, like, yeah, uh, like Marshall. Did, yeah, yeah, and I love that. And it was so yeah. subliminal. Right. You know, Marcus Miller did a really beautiful score with that. Well, so I would like to take a trip down memory lane if we can and go through a lot of these hits and or important songs that came along the way. So it's going to go chronologically. So I'll set up each one. Let's start with Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now for Mannequin, the movie in 1987, performed by Jefferson Starship, your first song to reach number one on the Billboard US and UK charts, and the first of these 10 Oscar nominations. The, the song from a movie about a guy fucking a mannequin. <laughs> yes. That's, that's my all, illustrious Oscar yes. nomination start. First number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you composed that one. But that's basically what the movie's about, right? Well, sure. And, and But what's interesting also to me about it is that you have very rarely co-written songs. Yeah, me and um, me and Albert Hammond wrote that. Who I he's a really good friend of mine, dear friend of mine, and I just he was at my house when so I had an all night party waiting for the nominations. It's kind of the what I do that night that the, the two nights ago the oh, sleepless oh, slumber just, party just the other night, and yeah. he was over and I was like Albert, remember like like the, the first, first one? yeah because because you ended up with him co-writing that one yeah. and I guess though why is it that by and large probably ninety something percent of the time you choose to write independently because that's just what I do I think that's I think my best songs come that way and I, I and I love my process I like just you know sitting there and then there's a certain point where I walk away and, and I get out of the song's way right to, you know so I I kind of I, I just prefer it it's probably annoying I like to follow my to yeah I don't want to yeah. yeah like you know and if it's and then I, have to, I don't have to talk them into something that I know is right and but you know like but but he and I had a really you know we wrote some really good songs together and yeah and that was my first Oscar who knew First, yeah, nomination. Yeah. All right, 1988, Look Away, performed by Chicago, their best-selling single ever, even after the departure of Peter Cetera, number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks, number one for 1989 on the year-end Billboard Hot 100, and it offers a nice case study, I think, in how inspiration can strike you anywhere to come back to this idea. I think it was a restaurant, right, where you heard something? or, or... And, Well, my friend was going through a divorce, my friend Terry, and I got that. You know, I got that concept. She was like about to tell her husband that she was leaving him. Mm-hmm. And it was like how it was like killing her. God. You know, it was like, and I was like, um, I think I'm getting an idea from you. <laughs> and it was one of those things again where I hate to like steal your life from you, but can I use your life for a song? <laughs> well, it <laughs> can worked. I, can, I, can I let you inspire me? Right. 
Next, you had an insane 1989. We're going to have several that I'm going to bring up here, but let's start with If I Could Turn Back Time, performed by Cher. You and Cher have co collaborated on more than 20 songs yeah, over 20 more now. than 30 years. With um, Prayers for This World last year. Yeah, for Prayers for This World. Last year, but I can't keep track. Yeah. A couple years. I think probably more frequently than any other Yeah, she, she's her, her and then, then Celine Dion after that. But, right. But, um, yeah. but you sometimes, you've said you with her, it's not always like, even with that frequent of collaborations, you sometimes have to fight her to do something. And that was oh an example, God. right? If I could turn back time, she, she didn't want to do. hated it. <laughs> and her A&R guy at the time, uh, John Kalodner, and I kept saying, John, get her to do it. He goes, no, she won't do it. She hates it. She won't, she won't do it. And she happened to be at Village Recorders working on her album. She happened to be doing a song of mine that day, another song. And I went in, the, she was in the lounge. I'm, I was like, just please try the song. Don't even worry about the one in, that you're doing in the other room. It's, it means nothing. This song will change your life. She goes, I hate it. <laughs> I go, just, I, yeah, but just, you got to try it. She goes, I'm not going to try it. And I, so, so I grabbed, literally grabbed her leg and I go, I'm not letting go of your leg. She goes, let go of my fucking leg. I go, I'm not letting go of your fucking leg. She goes, I let go of my leg, Diane. I go, I'm not until you say you're going to try it. She goes, I'm not trying. I go, I'll pay for it. And she goes, I'll try it. <laughs> and, and, and then what she heard it and loved it yeah or and then she started singing it and we were yeah. i was in there when she was doing the vocal and she looked at me like you asshole you're right <laughs> i'm like i went like this yeah well that of course i am the the uh, numbers certainly that's like her iconic up. song yeah, really that's the, you know? the first one you think about and, and what i loved about that lyrically is, is that you know she was dating you know the young guy she, so yeah. it's like always like it's like she's the perfect person there was no one else for that song that's but great. Cher. That is, I guess, an example of a power ballad, which is something that you are very closely associated with. And I guess I want to ask you, if you're the authority, best person I could ask, what is a power ballad and how did they become sort of your what thing? A power ballad? A melodic song. It's emotional. I guess that's what it is. I don't think of Turn Back Time as a power ballad, though. You don't. I mean, I think of I Don't Want to Miss a Thing as yes. a power ballad. More but than the Turn idea Back Time. of what they are, it's something that, what, you Turn would go time. to want to do at karaoke, right? Oh, yeah, those are all great. I, I do good karaoke songs. You do. You definitely. You know. <laughs> if I could turn back time. <laughs> you know what? In one of the share songs, I actually, she wouldn't come back to the studio. She goes, I'm done. I'm not coming back. Another song called Love and Understanding. Yeah. On the second verse, there's a, whoa. And it's me. Oh, you did. Yeah, you, you were doing Cher. Yeah, I did. I literally, I was Millie Vanillying That's on her so on her funny. record. Well, we'll get to them oh, yeah. shortly. Yeah, but same year yeah. actually. But wow. furthermore, if continuing along in '89, because this is, I don't think anyone's ever had more that was hits a good in year. a single year. And they were all songs I did myself. Too. Well, one of the yeah. So here, well, maybe one. A couple one. that I'm going to get to with Bolton, where you guys were. But first. Oh, yeah. We're Not Making Love Anymore, 1989, again, performed God, that, by Barbara Streisand. Is that that long ago? Yep. And oh now Michael Bolton is someone you you did do a probably more co-writing with than almost anybody, and that yeah. is an example of one. So you guys co-wrote But this. he also did my songs, which was really cool. Like, the, you know, he was the biggest artist on the planet at that time. Or In one 89, of but yeah, I mean, he, with you know. his album. But first, let's do this one okay. where you guys are writing it for Streisand. Yeah. Why was Michael Bolton somebody you were willing to write with? He was my friend. We we were working together on his record and stuff. So we, you know, he, he asked me to do it. Thing. Yeah, and he, and I go, yeah, of course. And and you know, and then he ended up doing it. I, I think with Patti LaBelle. And that year, you did a, half the songs on his breakout yeah. album. Yeah. One of them that you co-wrote was probably maybe his still his best known song. How can we be lovers? Oh yeah. And that, <laughs> that was, was a fun one. Song. But the other one was the first one that he ever saying that he didn't write when or I'm back on my feet again when i'm back on my now, feet again to, okay so to this day that is one of my favorite songs i've ever written in my life 
It's a great and song, but I know there's you. a personal reason, right? There is. And my dad had, had passed away recently. And I don't know why, but I felt like my dad was writing that through me. And it was, I don't know if it was reincarnation or I don't know what it was. You know, I, I felt my dad's spirit, right? And it just and, poured out. Yeah, just literally, that song's one of the quickest songs I ever wrote. Literally, words and music was, you know, I mean, I, I'm not one of those people. I can't stand when people go, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. And I didn't, it came, I wrote it in 10 minutes. I mean, I'm not that person. <laughs> so I, I'm really too, way too, you know, perfectionist and stuff right. especially with lyrics because that's the hard part but that song literally came from top to bottom almost as I was writing and I was crying I was in tears and I played it for Michael and Michael was like really emotional and it made him think of his dad which is yeah his dad, his dad had died years before mm-hmm. and he goes I have to do that song and he's someone that wouldn't you know wasn't into doing people's no. songs and he came in the studio and I was playing piano and he was singing it and, I, and after did the piano track, he went out and sang it, actually. And I saw him, and he was wiping away tears, and, and it was just, it was emotional. Wow. And then he goes, I want to re-sing it, and I go, no. That that first one was... Yeah, I go, like, I, I kind of threatened, you know, even though I never would have really done it, I'm taking it away if you go back in. I, I'm not letting you have it if you do it, right? Of course I would have, you know, yeah. 15 million records. I'm not going to say no. But, but you know what? But he listened to me because that, even there was like maybe a couple things in, in his performance that weren't perfect, but who wants perfect? No. That's what's so boring. Like some of the records you hear, like, I don't want to hear perfect. No. I want to hear you. I want to hear you hitting some wrong notes. I want to hear, you know, just I want some human stuff. I want to hear the human quality. You right. know, I don't want to hear perfection. Perfection's not interesting for sure and so well, there was stuff in that that wasn't perfect you know but the last two songs from 89 that i want to ask you about it's amazing that i could say the last two when there wow. how many people have this many memorable songs from any <laughs> any year but from a whole I career even. You know, i don't remember what because i'm so fast forward of what i'm doing next i don't even well, I, I, is, it's like it's going wow I'm, i did that yeah. so <laughs> well these last two i'm going to ask as a group because on november 18th 1989 they made you or you made them a part of history where for the first time a single songwriter had songs that were simultaneously number one and number two on the U.S. charts. The first one was When I See You Smile, performed by Bad English. The second was Blame It on the Rain, a great pop song performed allegedly by <laughs> Millie Vanilli, the twosome that won. Can I say one thing? Well, about- one second. Oh, so they went on to win the Best New Artist Grammy <laughs> in 1990 and then had to give it back because Oops. of the whole thing over that. They didn't sing it. <laughs> they didn't sing it. But what I don't understand is how did they get a Diane Warren song in the first place and then how did you not know that it wasn't them? Oh, I had no idea because I, I brought the, there was a group that was holding the song they were called the Jets mm-hmm. and after holding it for a year Blame on the Rain they didn't do it so I went to see Clive Davis in um, New York and he goes I have this group that it's perfect for and he played me Girl You Know It's True which is the cadence is almost like Blame on the Girl You Know It's True and Blame Blame it on the ri- It's weird. And so I go, oh, my God, I brought you the follow-up song. And I don't even know if he knew they didn't do it because he picked them up from Germany. Okay. So I don't think he was actually in the studio. I think when the, it gave it away, when, it, when they were, you know, in concert and went, you know, girl, you know, it's girl, you know. It's, <laughs> it started skipping. They, they probably weren't doing that live on purpose. So <laughs> right. that kind of gave it away. But I want to say one thing. Yeah. I did blame it on the, when I see you smile for a group called Bad English, John Waite being the singer. And waking up two days ago and finding out I got I got nominated for All Flight was like the greatest high ever. Mm-hmm. And then a few hours later, I found out that my friend um, Don Grierson had suddenly passed away. And Don was a, a brilliant A&R man that worked with that group. And without, oh, without right. yes, he gave wow. them When I See You Smile. So I'm glad you're bringing it up because yeah. I, could, I could give a little shout yeah, out to him. Yeah. He was a wonderful man. And, and without him, I wouldn't have had that, wow, that okay. hit song. 
Well, moving beyond this incredible 1989, we come to 1992. There's a song that had a long history before it became a hit that year, and I'll ask you to just talk about it, and that is Don't Turn Around, which became a hit with Ace of Bass, but it, it really went back, right? It's a it's a really, it's a kind of a fun story. It's a, I did that one with Albert Hammond, too, so we, we did a, a couple, few really good songs. Um, so what happened with that song, I first, you know, we wrote it and I go, you know what, Albert, let's get it to, to Tina Turner. So I went to see Tina Turner's manager and I played him the song and, you know, they really liked it. And Brian Adams, who was really hot at the time, produced it. And then they go, well, we're not putting it on the album. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> she was the hottest thing. I remember sitting like crying. And then they go, well, it'll be on the B side. Well, you know, B side, nobody's going to ever hear in life. But uh, the guy, his name's Luther Ingram, he, he did the song, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. Somehow he t- put the wrong side of that single on, and he and he heard it, and he recorded the song, and it it went you know it wasn't much of a hit. I think it went to like eighty you know or something on the on the R and B charts. Somehow a group called Aswad, I wonder why they didn't make it in America with a name like Aswad. Aswad. I don't know. It just doesn't really sound. I don't right. know. Hey, that's the new song "Turn Turn Around" by Aswad. But they they took it and they did a they were actually a great group they were a reggae group yeah. and so they flipped it because it started its life as a as a rock ballad right. that was a power ballad they flipped it on its ear and it became this reggae record that became a hit in every country in the world like number one in, in the UK and everywhere you know and in the middle of that period Neil Diamond did a version of it Bonnie Tyler a lot of people recorded that song then Clive Davis and this wasn't even me somehow he heard that you know the the ass asswad. <laughs> that name. He heard that version and he recorded it with Ace of Bass. And, and then so it became really, a massive you hit. You were again. not that privy to all of these things happening. Once you write it, it goes off and then it's sort yeah, of. Yeah, it's that song just, you know, a lot of times I'm like pushing and, you know, trying to get. But this one, it's like this, it had this weird life force, like you couldn't keep That's it down. Amazing. And yeah. then now I just got asked to. Um, let the music in the Tina Turner musical. I'm like, that's wow. which will be on went, like Broadway, right? Yeah, yeah. So cool. it's like full. That song went full. Oh, now you want it back? Okay. Well, all right. So going into speaking of Clive, I want to ask you just how did you get to know him? What makes him special? And also, how did you end up working with his favorite singer, Whitney Houston, on "You Were Loved," which was a song on the movie The yeah. Preacher's Wife, 1996? Okay. So. okay. Well, I had read Clive's book, his first book, when I was a kid, and you know when I was. 14, 15, and all that. I made my dad get me a subscription of billboards. So I would, mm-hmm. I studied this. So when you, I didn't give a shit about school, mm-hmm. but when I got into music and when I knew this is what, I'm going to learn everything. I'm going to learn who wrote things. I mean, I'd meet people. I'll meet people today. I'll tell them everything they wrote. And everything, <laughs> you know, so I also, I made my dad get me Clive Davis's book. I, I think it might have been called Inside the Record Business. And I read it top to bottom. I'm like, I got to meet Clive Davis. Mm-hmm. So that was like the top of the mountain right. meeting Clive. So after Rhythm of the Night, I got a chance to meet him. You know, so because Aris to Publishing, even though I don't yeah. know if he was, he, I don't know how closely he dealt with the publishing company, but through that, I go, well, can I meet Clive? And so I went to see him and um, I played him some songs. He didn't like any of them. <laughs> it's like, wow, buzzkill. Yeah. So much for climbing up that mountain. I just got thrown off. <laughs> but I went and I went to a store and bought you know, it was like retail therapy and bought this really expensive sweater that I couldn't afford. I go, well, you don't <laughs> like my songs, but I'm going to buy this sweater. And then, you know, later on, I, I kept bringing him songs and then he started really loving what I did. And I started writing a lot of songs for a lot of people. And it's kind of funny because, you know, Whitney was the big artist, but he would never take my songs for Whitney. And he'd be going like, well, I want it for this group 
you know, and then I go, oh, God. You know, and then he goes, no, I want for this group X, but I say, then X, I'd have a big hit. Right. He goes, well, it's not right for Whitney. I go, why? Because I have this new artist, Taylor Dane. But then I, so I did like, you know, a couple songs with her, like right. Love Will Lead You Back was the number one record. Right. So I go, okay, whoever you want and stuff. And then finally, with The Preacher's Wife, yeah. I got my chance with You to Were Loved. With yeah. yeah. To you, was she as great as some people speak about her? Oh, like, my God. Yeah. She's, she's the best singer of our time. Really? Yeah. She's the best singer I ever worked with. Amazing. And I mean, I guess the ultimate power ballad would probably be I Will Always Love You, right? Yeah. That's a, but you know what she, I mean, Dolly Parton's version was great, yes. but I'm sure Do, Dolly told me a, a story. I think that Elvis Presley tried yeah. to get. We just sat oh, her yeah. on the podcast yeah. and talked about she it. She told me that at a party once. El, she wouldn't let him do it because yeah, he wanted to Yeah, she was like rights. crying. Yeah. And it's like, then, she, then it paid off when, you know, Whitney so did much, it. So many and times It's a over. terrible thing when artists try to do that, by yeah. the way. It's just, you know. Because it was the last minute. They didn't tell her until the very last minute. There, there are a lot of stories like this throughout the music yeah. business when you, you know, you go back and watch. Morris Levy, you know, where they, where he put his name on as a songwriter. Like, yeah. it's like, come on. I'm trying to remember this great producer who died young. There was just a documentary. Burt Burns. Burt Burns, yeah. I'm Burt dying Burns. to see that. I never it saw was, that documentary. Yeah, it's really good. He wrote great songs. Yeah, but. Don't it, tell me he didn't write the songs. No, either. he did, but then okay. he was getting screwed around. Like, but it basically. Morris Levy or somebody like there's that. There's this under, sort of underbelly of the music industry that almost operates, and I think it's always been there. Yeah, but it's like, like more overt. It's more overt now where producers are, you know, where the, the, someone will come in, what, what's the writing, what's our writing split? So it's like, wait, I wrote it. You know, yeah, yeah, and it's ridiculous. more it's more overt and out there. So. Do you think they just try it to see if it'll work? They might as well give it a go. I think that, well, the excuse, it'll, and I feel bad for, because it doesn't happen to me a lot. You yeah. know, usually they have more respect than to do At that. At this but, point, yeah. But it does happen to new writers. Yeah. And it's like, and they'll, the excuse will be like, well, you know, records aren't selling. You know, like they used to. Like, well, does that mean you're going to steal someone else's yeah, credit or, or their publishing? Yeah. or their, And that's not cool. It's hard to probably make a living when you're splitting it seven ways or something yeah. right when you see there's like you know 18 writers on a song there's not know. many people are gonna have as many uh, hits in a career as, as you. yeah i mean well let's go on to the next one uh, also 96 reach performed by gloria estefan the official song of the olympics yeah. that year so that, i guess that was the first time working with her well i think she had done songs of mine before that okay. and then you know i knew that she had a chance to do the olympics and i go let's write the song we're, we're really good friends she's one of my a really good friends, actually. She's funny. She's great. Yeah. You know, I don't I know if you've done a podcast. Broadway musical. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. It's pretty How cool. about this is me like going, I think one of those songs, it was during Reach, too. I go, I yeah. think that's my song. I said yeah. to my friend, but until the chorus, I wasn't even were... sure. I, I, I forget everything. <laughs> they all blur. Well, you know, I mean, some at some great. point, somebody's going to do a, a Diane Warren jukebox musical I know. because well, there's plenty there's of options. Of that. Yeah. Oh, are they, have you ever talked about it? I mean, I'm talking to somebody right now. That's awesome. Yeah. That would be amazing. That's... All right. Well, so. Also 96, believe it or not. Unbreak My Heart. Yeah. Tony Braxton. Another one, I guess, where the artist did not want to do this. No, she hated it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, wait, how do you... Sorry, I mean, I mean, how do you hate that? How do you actually... And then, okay, she didn't like it in the first place and didn't want to do it. Then when she did it, and she's like saying the shit out of it. And like, yeah. I remember being in the studio going like, you're gonna, I told her you're getting a Grammy for this. And she did. I guess after she recorded, she still didn't want to do it. I think Clive's like, okay. You want your record to come out? Or do you want not want your record to come out? Because Clive, yeah, Clive yeah, was on he, your side here. Yeah, well, he knew. Yeah. I mean, how it just do you... shows you can't even sometimes hear your own thing objectively yeah. if she didn't Wait, think that was Wait, and this is good. even, this is the best part. Fast forward a couple of years later, yeah. she calls me. She goes, I'd love another song for you from you. Don't give me another Unbreak My Heart. What? Really? I'm like, 
yeah, that didn't work out for you? What? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, I couldn't even say anything to that. I don't know. So you are one of the great writers of songs about love. And oh, yet thanks. you have talked about openly. Yeah. So I'm not breaking any news here. No. You've said you were never in love. No, not like pe most people are. No. I mean, I'm, I love my cat. <laughs> <laughs> but I really how do. to somebody I love who music. I love my friends. been romantically in love, right? about romantic love so well. Because I feel well. it, because I feel it. I say it's method songwriting. It is, you know, like how but does an actor- method you draw from your experiences. Oh, you could draw from, you just feel it. I don't even know how to explain it. I do, when I'm writing something, I'm believing it. I really am. I don't want to hear someone breathe all night. You <laughs> from, know, I don't, I don't want to miss We're coming to that one, yeah. yeah. Well, just- but I want to hear my cat purr all night. <laughs> I love hearing them, it helps me sleep. <laughs> but just so this should sink in for people, for somebody who never experienced love, in that sort, in one year, Unbreak My Heart, and then we're coming to the next one, which is Oscar nom number two, Because You Loved Me, for the, the movie one? Up Close and Personal, performed by Celine Dion, right. who you've also done a lot with, as, as we were saying earlier. These are great love songs, right. and it's just But amazing. Because You Loved Me, you can interpret it any way you want, because to me, when I was writing, I was almost thanking my dad for believing in me. Mm -hmm. I was writing it for the movie and for what Michelle Pfeiffer's character is saying to Robert Redford's character. By the way, that's almost a Me Too movie now because he was also a mentor to her, yes. to her Robert Redford's character after he was killed. And I wanted to write something where she was thanking him for believing in her, right? So it wasn't a love song per se. Like I thought of my dad believing me. So I'm, I'm everything I am because you love me because you believed in me. So that's what that song was. And then it's, here's the irony. It's become one of the biggest wedding songs. And here's the kind of thing that's always kind of amusing me about it and I mean not in a bad way but yeah. it's ED because you loved oh because you loved me and you're getting married to it like do they still love you oh really? oh, I see, oh I see what yeah. you're saying I see what you're but saying but no I mean it's still a good wedding song interesting right? <laughs> when you're writing something though you seem to be able to do something that other people can't always do which is know if it's really working or not and in this case you've said you realized that your work had gone to another level. With that song. With that song. It, it did. I felt like I took a giant leap in my craft with that song at that time. It's almost like that song was better than me. I did something recently too that I feel like that. That's me in a year or something. Like, mm -hmm. like, it, like I touched something. Like with that song, there was something craft-wise or something that was better than, that was the best thing I'd ever done. Wow. Well, you so you get the second Oscar nomination and you've said that of That's the nine prior to now, that was the one you went into feeling maybe the like, most. I'm winning this. Yeah. I know I'm winning. You brought Clive this. as your Clive date. Clive came. And I didn't, and it was like because you loved me didn't win, but you must love me won. And I remember Tim Rice calling me and saying you should have won. Because like it was Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd yeah. Webber winning for this song from Evita. And I remember me and Clive. We went to Jerry's Deli, and I ate two orders of French fries that <laughs> night. <laughs> to cover yourself. Just because, like, just drown my sorrows. A listener French should fries. know you're a very, very skinny person, so that must no, have been uh, not really. That must have been <laughs> a uh, a major thing. But yeah. All right. Well, this I wasn't skinny us... after that night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this brings us to... Well, there were two times I was going to... I thought, okay, that's the first time I thought I had a chance. Okay, well, we'll, we'll go through more. them all. Number three, Oscar Nam, How Do I Live, is a song that you wrote for Con Air in 1997, the first of several songs you've done for Jerry Bruckheimer Films. This one was performed by Leanne Rimes, who at the time was a 14-year-old country singer, but would now become a pop star because of this. And I don't think I realized until I started prepping for this just how big of a hit the song was. So I'm going to just go over for listeners. It stayed on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for 69 weeks, setting a new record that wasn't broken until Jason Mraz's I'm Yours 11 years later. It was in the Billboard Hot 100 charts top 10 
for 32 consecutive weeks, setting a new record that wasn't broken until Ed Sheeran's The Shape of You came along 20 yes. years later. <laughs> uh, and it was in the Billboard Hot 100 charts top 40 for 62 consecutive weeks, a record it still holds. It was certified three times platinum, unprecedented for a country single, and unsurpassed until Taylor Swift's love story 12 years later. And eventually it was named by Billboard as the most successful song of the 1990s. It is still the number four song on Billboard's all-time top 100 chart behind only Bobby Darren's cover of Mac the Knife, Santana's Smooth, and Chubby Checker's version of The Twist. That is Wait, insane. There's one more thing. It's the, the biggest female record of all time of in all Billboard. Time, yeah, if it's, yeah, that's right. Because... The number one. So how did it come about? Well, I wrote the song for Conair. I was one of 150 people <laughs> that wrote songs for that. Played for Jerry. He really he loved it. I ran into Leanne Rhymes at a restaurant. A fourteen year old girl. Yeah. Oh, she was she had just won, Yeah, she was with her dad and yeah. and her manager, and she had just won the Billboard Best New Artist award as well. And I said, Hey, I wrote the song for Conair. Would you want to hear it and, and work it up? And she goes, Yeah. And so she came to my studio. We did that song. We did a couple other songs. She loved it. Now she's okay. Now keep in mind that they thought it's the song for the movie. Right. It wasn't the song for the Not movie. Chosen yet. Yet. No. Yeah. Well they went back to Nashville and spent about a hundred thousand dollars on it. They did a whole video. They Who's they? Leanne's oh, her, producer her and folks, her yeah. dad co produced the song. You know, hundred thousand dollars video, beautiful video, string orchestra, the whole thing, right? And they send it back, and it's great. And I played it for Jerry, and Jerry, of course, is excited because she is the hot thing. Yeah. So I play it, and he goes, you know, I love it, but I want him to change a couple of things. Wilbur, her, her dad, right? I said, Wilbur, just for the movie, because you'll have your record. And so yeah. she goes, uh, he goes, literally, says him, I ain't changing nothing for them Hollywood people. <laughs> I go, wait, but listen, you're not changing anything. You still have your record. You're going to release your record. Right. It's just, we do this all the time. It has to fit the scene. Yeah. You know, you might just have to change a little bit. I ain't doing nothing. I'm like, oh, God. And then, so Jerry goes, okay, well, I can't use her version. Would you mind if Trisha Yearwood did it? I go, yeah, but I can't pull Leanne Rhymes. I mean, right. I can't do it. And A, I couldn't do it. That wouldn't be the right thing to B, she was the hottest thing yeah. in music. Yeah. Why would I want to? Right. So Trisha does it for the movie. And I go, as long, Jerry, as long as I can have Leanne do it. So he goes, fine, that's fine. Then he calls me after Trisha does it, and he goes, you have to pull Leanne's version. They told me after after Trisha year would end because up recording. Because Trisha wanted exclusively. Yeah, because we have we can't have two versions. I go, I can't do that. And he's like, You're never going to work at Disney. You will never work with me. I was, I was like crying on the yeah. phone, like, Oh no, I'm so so scared. And then when he went a year later, I did Aerosmith. Okay, well, um, <laughs> but um, but so but I was so scared, and I couldn't. Everybody was pissed at me. Like everybody yeah. wasn't talking to me. He was mad. He wasn't talking to me. And then Leanne found out about Trisha, and she hated me. And they'd spent all this money. And I and I called Mike Curb at the time. She was signed to Curb Records, and he's great. I go, look, you still should release this because Trisha will only be, a, you know, it'll be great just country. But Leanne's not just a country artist. She's like, this will make her a pop star. Mm -hmm. And he listened to me. And so which they released one is it in the, the same movie, time. Then? Trisha Yearwoods is in the movie. The weird thing is Leanne sang it on the Grammys, and Trisha won a Grammy for it for the country vocal. It was some weird thing like that, oh as I recall. God. But in the movie, so Trisha is one who sang it on the Grammy, on the Oscars, because she, she did it in the movie. The nominated version. But yeah. Leanne, Leanne's version was giant, and Trisha's too. Like Trisha, it was like a number one country record for. It's probably Trisha's biggest hit. So all these stats and that Leanne's, I just cited, whose version is that that we're referring to? Well, there's two versions. So the version that you hear in, in Conair is only Trisha Yearwood's. Right. But on the radio that you hear, you'd heard on pop radio, you still hear this day, will be Leanne's version. Because Trisha's cannot, they're not going to... Well, Trisha's a country artist, so you'll, you'll hear Trisha's on country radio, right? Right, but 
the combined totals of them are what we're talking about for ridiculous. the ridiculous. Well, oh, no, not not in Billboard. What they're talking about there is only Leanne Rhymes. That's what's so cool. That's why that's such a. That's probably my biggest hit I ever. So had. if they counted both Leanne and Trish's, it would be even bigger. I think that sold like twenty million singles with Leanne. I mean, it's not why do you think it struck such a chord with listeners? When I wrote it, I thought it was really a special song. I mean, you never know what's going to really connect. It was really used well in the movie. You know, it was an emotional scene. And do you remember? Had you been in this case told? this is the scene where we want a song or was it yeah, just that was he was showing the scene and stuff okay. and, and the cool thing is they both literally came out at the same time and they they took these different trisha went to number one country she had a greatest hits album that sold five million albums yeah. and then around the world in australia was the, the biggest record of that year and then leanne's version would be in you know the number one record in the uk they both had you know enormous hits with that song and did they come away from this Friendly towards me. each other or towards you? Or well, what, how did it all They end? were all cool with me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, because, I mean, I was one that everybody hated. But, but then, then they loved they, me. Then they came around. Because they loved me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know how to live without but me. The, and the two of them don't mind. They, they, I guess they didn't deliberately do anything to each other. No, no. Yeah. But you know what's really cool? All these mixers would mix it, would cut in the same key. So there would be versions that were... Half of each. Yeah, it was oh awesome. And then it became a dance record, too, which was really awesome. When you have a song coming together... And it's not yet where it needs to be. Or let's say right now, if something triggered something in your mind that you'd want to remember for the beginning of a song, do you write down something or do you record something or what's your way of... I still have a Blackberry and I usually would just type a title or something onto it because I use that to write with. Mm -hmm. Um, But I need to get it charged. (laughs) Battery's dead. (laughs) Or if I'll sing it into a, you know, into my voicemail. I mean, I got to learn how to use the thing on my Samsung. I know there's a way to record to on record there. To record audio, yeah. You know, but I'm always afraid, like, I'm going to push something and it's going to erase. And, and lose it. Yeah. Wow. That's well, why I still use a Walkman and cassettes. I do. You do? Mm-hmm. Because you can just... I take... They're there. You they're can physically see there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's not going to go away. Ugh. That's funny. All right. So a year after that, Oscar nom number four was for 1998's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing for the movie Armageddon, yeah, performed after- by Steven Tyler. That was after Jerry Bruckheimer said, I'll never work with you. Yeah, again. so Jerry, Jerry came <laughs> yeah, probably crying back. Yeah, he worked with me again. Yes, and, <laughs> and this one, another huge one. I exactly remember where I was seeing this movie it, with my summer camp. We got oh, a great. day off to go see Way this. Way to make me feel old. No, come on. It was, <laughs> it was the coolest thing. It was like this big, Did you go to your summer movie. camp too? Not that year. but oh, uh, I did. It was, right. This is, it was the big movie of the summer. Yeah. And this is the song that everybody was singing. And the weirdest part of all, from the from what I gather, is that it started, the kernel of the idea is owed to James Brolin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what's crazy? Like, it was an interview saying how he'd, he'd miss her if he'd go to sleep. And my cousin told me about it. Wait, wait. So he's saying about Barbara yeah, Streisand and his he, wife. He's going to miss her when he misses her when he goes to sleep. And my cousin told me about the interview. And I go, God, that's such a good idea for a song. So I wrote down the title. I don't want to miss a thing. I didn't even actually see this interview until about a year ago. Really? So yeah. you just heard secondhand? I'd that... heard about it. And then I finally saw it. And you thought it was charming or just a good idea? I thought idea? it was a great song idea. Yeah. And so now... You Even though I don't want to stay awake and hear someone breathe, doesn't mean someone else doesn't. <laughs> Stephen Tyler singing that, which was which was so cool when, when wait, wait, I wrote well, it. Let's, okay. let's, let, no, only All because right. I think it's important. How does Stephen Tyler enter the picture? His daughter is Liv Tyler. Yeah, she's he's in the movie, starring in the movie. Yeah. he goes to see what an early cut of the movie. Yeah. And her dad is Bruce Willis. Now, I'll give all credit to this to yeah. my friend Kathy Nelson, who okay. I did a lot of these Disney movies with. We did Connie Air. We did Armageddon. She's I was music. She was head of music at Disney okay. at the time. Now, Kathy has this way with artists where she said, I'm going to get Aerosmith to do it. I go, no way. <laughs> Stephen Tyler's not going to do my song. 
You know? Because why? He, you don't they, he write does... the, they write their own songs, and it would be like and at they're the time, more like they're more a rock out. group. Yeah. So doing a song with you know me, I'm, you know, it makes a pop sell out. I don't know, you know, at that time. <laughs> and she goes, "No, I'm going to get him to do it." And then you know, she called me. She goes, "Stephen loves it, and he wants to do it." But wow. part for him, the thing was he's watching an early yeah. cut of the movie, seeing his daughter watch her father, yeah. quote unquote, Bruce Willis die. Yeah. Maybe he's thinking a little bit of himself. Yeah, I think that's what how Kathy got him involved, and it really was emotional for him that scene. And then he loved my song, and I remember just sitting, you know, with the what's it called, Sunset Marquee, yeah, and sitting on the piano with him and teaching him the song. And I just that I was crying just as he's as I'm playing, and he's just singing and just "Ah." because you know at the time I wrote, I thought it would be like a woman singing like a Celine Dion or something like that. And then, but what's so cool about the song is when Stephen does it, I love the vulnerability in the lyric with this manly man right. you know so it's just such a great dichotomy that oh, works so good because no one's these girls would love it cause their husbands don't say that right. to them and their boyfriends don't say that to them right i've put together this week i had all these singles but i didn't necessarily realize that all of them were written by diane warren so i've made wow. a diane warren playlist oh, and wow. it's been fun going through and listening to like just on a loop all these but that one i think might be just my personal favorite and my sense from things you've Thanks. said is that the arrangement is the one that you're the happiest with. Like basically when oh, you turn a, over your song to an artist. That was a perfect, and I remember like some, a lot of times I'll be in the studio when someone's recording yeah. something or I'll hear a part of it. I didn't hear a note of it and it got sent to me CDs, kids, there were something called CDs. Yes. You know, they're kind of like 45s, they went the way of the dinosaur. But I love records. I love physically yeah, holding yeah. things and looking at credits yeah, as opposed to, yeah. you know finding the wrong credits online, um, which, yeah, don't get me started. But I remember hearing that and just literally from that orchestral opening yeah. that literally it just knocked my socks off. Just like hearing that beautiful intro and then changes keys oh, and Steven Tyler. I mean, it's just like best record ever. Just a year later, it's that unbelievable. That should have got record of the year. That really should have. Yeah, I don't remember. Do you remember what it lost to? Yeah, I, don't, I always lose to something. <laughs> I don't remember what it was that year. Right. Well, it's a theme. Next like year, it. well, it'll eventually it's going to change. But yeah, the next okay. year was Oscar nom number five. And it's just, I hope listeners are processing. I'm not saying five years later or whatever. Every year there's something unbelievable. So the next year is the song Music of My Heart yeah. for the movie Music of Which, the Heart. Yeah, they changed the title of that movie. It was called 70 Violins or something. Oh, okay. So there's similar titles here for the song and the movie performed by Gloria Estefan and featuring NSYNC. NSYNC. Basically a duet with NSYNC were the hottest group on the planet at that time. And the context is essentially that you've got students thinking they're a great music teacher and for you again it's not necessarily a direct parallel when you're writing it but you're thinking about somebody that I was thinking of a really kind camp counselor when I went to my Jewish summer camp, yeah. Camp Scottmar. Um, it was in Agora, Agora Hills in the oh, Valley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, her name's Renee, and she was great. She was really, like, one of the nicer adults, even though she wasn't really, she was only, like, four years older than me mm-hmm. or something. It's something that was someone that was really kind to me and reached out to me, you know, when I was like, this angry kind of yeah, teenager. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of her writing the song, so I was thinking, like, I want to write a song, like, kind of thanking somebody yeah. that, was, that was encouraging me and good to me. And one of the really great things I got to do was after I wrote I, I you know we'd reconnected oh. and I said I want to play you something and I said I, I thought you I was writing this and she was crying I mean it was just oh, really beautiful awesome. to see that yeah you can't really give a more lovely gift than something yeah, that came right from right? the heart um all right so two years later <laughs> you get Oscar nomination number six in 2001 this is there you'll be for the movie Pearl Harbor yeah. And it's another song for a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. And I understand you were See, he kind did of, work with me again. Yeah, you, I think he, he, <laughs> he I'm sure uh, his his movies would be a lot lesser without you. But this one is 
There You'll Be. The song was performed by Faith Hill, who you had in mind from the start. I thought she'd be, just even her name, it was, it was Pearl Harbor. It was Her name just sounds what very America, didn't yeah, it? And yeah. she's a great singer, and he kind of put me through the ringer having me rewrite that song 20 times and stuff. But it was one of the last songs. I remember my mom, my mom loved that song. I remember that. That's a great one, yeah. And she didn't say, take it to Ralph's. By <laughs> well, she, she eventually basically got on board, right? Yeah, with yeah. the whole... Yeah, but I'd say, I'd say so, I mean, my mom was my mom, you know, she was just funny. She, I'd say, Mom, I got this great deal. And I'd say, amount, uh, like a staggering amount yeah. of money. And she goes, well, how much are you going to keep? What does that mean? How much are you going to keep? After taxes. Oh, after she's ta- like, she's, you know, she's yeah, yeah. It's like, oh God, can't you just say that's really good? That's the Jewish mother. Yeah, it, it is, man. <laughs> you know, but I had to prove to my mom. You know, I always say that's even more than, in a way, than my dad encouraging me because I still have it. Drove thing. you to prove yeah, something, right? I still have it in me. I still have. Yeah, really, you don't think I can do that? Yeah, anymore? yeah, yeah. Well, fucking watch me. That's so funny. Well, yeah. just a quick aside. I went to Brandeis University, and there was a professor there, Joyce Antler, who wrote a book that I will never forget. I think the title is. You never write, you never call. A history of the Jewish mother. I heard of that. I heard of that. Did you say, oh dear? Did you get it? No. Antler. I know. Oh, yeah, really Antler's... stupid. That was really stupid. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's... I know it was dumb. Uh, I heard I... of that book. It's pretty funny. It's, uh, you know, I bought it. Um, all right. So. <laughs> you didn't get it for free? No, no. Uh, come on. Got to support your right. uh, struggling professor. That's right. All right. 2002. Can't Fight the Moonlight for Coyote Ugly, yeah. performed again by Leanne Rhymes, so yeah. she couldn't have been too upset with you. No, uh, they all like they all like you again after they have a hit with you. <laughs> they hate you, and like then they go, like, it's like... Please make me yeah, another Yeah, hit. I like you now. Give but, me another song. You know, I did all the songs. That's the one movie I did. You know, I did the four... Yeah, I did the whole soundtrack. Like, well, I did four songs, which is the which forms the whole... But the score is right. the soundtrack. All the, the musical score is based on my songs, too. But in fact, in this case, the, the song that would go with the last scene was actually up until very, very late in the game going to be a different song. Yeah, and I had this feeling it wasn't working when I saw like a rough cut. I didn't want to say anything then because I didn't want to like knock my own song out. But then I guess it really wasn't working. I literally had three days to write a song and I just quickly did that song. And they, and they were amenable to yeah, yeah, hearing they loved something it. else. Yeah, and they loved it. Oh, I'm sure you know? when they heard that I mean, one, it's but... a good song. And it was oh, like, it's great. It, thank you. And they, I remember, th- I think they had to like, put it like it was before you could digitally do everything right. they did some some kind of thing where the movie was almost in a theater and they got it in there they like wow you know and that was yeah another big big hit huge um, that's, that's my biggest hit outside of the of america that's really yeah Can't fight the moon is yeah. there why would that be? any rhyme i don't know reason? it was like the biggest hit in a lot of countries that year i guess i never realized and you know that even though I grew someone up... needs to do someone needs to do yeah. coyote ugly too all the people want to do it because I've been in touch with them. Yeah. Coyote Ugly 2 called Can't Fight the Moonlight. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Coyote Ugly the musical. On Broadway. Yeah. It would be fun. Why not? I mean, who's got this? I must don't be know. a rights issue. I talk don't know. to talk to is that who's that's, that's not Jerry. Jerry. Is it I mean, Jerry? I th- well, I think he has part of that. I don't know. Well, someone else that, has to that do that. That would be cool to do. I guess I just honestly, even though I grew up with all this all this music, I didn't realize that Leanne Rhymes was so huge. Yeah. What's she up to these days? Is she still? I, you know, doing she's it? still making you know, music and yeah. stuff. You know, she needs to. She needs you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would work with her again. She just needs to be surrounded by the right team yeah. and have a really good label situation yeah. where someone will really get behind her. Right, and she's still got to be so the, young. If she was fourteen, well, she's thirty-four now, which is really weird because that makes me feel really yeah, old. But I mean, that's she's no, that's still she's still so, young, so young, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's still, by the way, she's still a great singer, great singer, one of the best singers I ever worked with is Leanne. 2010, flashing forward just a little bit here. Uh, well, first, let's say Coyote Ugly's 2002. Turn of the century, it seems like there was a little bit of a shift in people's 
in the industry's taste in music and whatever. And to some extent, it seemed to become more about rap and hip hop and all yeah. that stuff. Did you feel that where you're doing Songs. ballads and anthems and, and, and sort I do of, other things too? Like I still would work with a lot of different people. No, I know you can do everything, but I'm just wondering, was it palpable that there was a bit of a shift that you then had to acclimate towards? Yeah, but I, yeah, yeah. And then there was a lot of the grunge stuff. Yeah. But I've always kind of, I don't chase trends because I think if you just do what you do, and I do a lot of different kind of things, but it kind of comes back as if you're chasing trends, you're always going to be late. So 2010, you haven't seen The Last of Me for Burlesque, performed yeah. again by Cher, your, your old pal. This was a hugely well-received song to the extent that it was getting all kinds of awards buzz. And I hope I am not out of line to bring up a sensitive topic, but it was in the course of that season that you lost someone who was very yeah, close to you and who and and Jeff, your longtime publicist, who's so great, and he was here. And that's yeah, your beloved yeah. publicist, Ryan Chase. And this was November sixteenth, twenty ten. And then you win the Golden Globe, and you thanked her very dedicated movingly, it. dedicating it to her. And I guess I just wonder if we did this when Hans Zimmer was on the podcast. I think you know it's important for people who don't know a person to remember. You know, there's a chance to learn about them and yeah. not forget that this person. No one, none of those people, Hans wouldn't have been on those stages. Yeah. I wouldn't have been on that. Anybody that Ronnie was great. These are people that, that do all the work. Like Jeff. Like yeah. Jeff over there. Yeah. And you like you basically, though, for years worked with it, right? Yeah. And what is somebody like that? How do they help a, a career? How do they? Because you have to build awareness and, and know how to navigate all that we don't we're you know we're musicians we're songwriters so somebody that's brilliant like that you can't really do it without them the next year you worked with somebody who has sort of become along with taylor swift and rihanna maybe the most popular music artist of the second decade of the 21st century and that is beyonce you did a song for her fourth album i think oh, a song that actually came was sort of in the works as far back as 9 11 called I Was Here. Well, no, I didn't write that. What it was was I called Jay-Z to play for him, and he wasn't calling me back. And <laughs> someone I worked with in my office, Batman, actually, she's, she at the time was my sister. Now she's she's more important there. She called Jay-Z and said, it's about 9-11, so he took my call. He got on the phone with me, and um, I said, you know, I'm going to play you something. And, and did you know my him before song. this? I'd met him a couple of times. Okay. I didn't yeah, know him, yeah. really. So I played on my acoustic guitar. Yeah. I wrote it on the guitar. And he goes, you said something like, you know, you just wrote my, you said in one song what I've been trying to say all, all my life. Wow. And Beyonce has to do the song, just stay by your phone. Her plane's landing in a half hour. This is a Monday. This is, I think, the last day of Oprah's show, because I think she was flying there. Oh, okay. You know, um, I played a song on the phone. I'm not going to hype you. I'm just going to play it. She goes, okay, my album was supposed to be mastered and mixed. <laughs> mastered. It was already mixed by Friday, turning right. it in. So she goes, I'm cutting the song on, on Wednesday. Wow, that quick and That quick and came in. And there's a funny, there's a really good, another funny story with that song. So at the same time, I thought it was really good for Beyonce. I thought I wanted to send it. I'm, I'm friendly with Simon Cowell. I thought, yeah. you know what? I think it's great for Leona Lewis or Susan yeah. Boyle or somebody like that because it's a pretty open song. It's yeah. really, a, it's one of my, I think that's one of my best songs. Mm -hmm. So I sent him my, my guitar vocal version. So that night I'm in the studio with Beyonce hearing one of the best performers I've ever heard in my life. I mean, literally, she starts out, she nails the song on, you know, she's in there three hours. But I'm like, well, you got it already. She goes, no. I mean, and then she goes, I'm gonna eat, we'll eat dinner now. And then I go, okay, great. She goes, I'm going back in the studio to do more. I go, that's, by the way, that's the work ethic. Yeah. That's why people like her, people like Gaga are around forever. Because yeah. she 
after dinner, she goes, no, I'm going, I'm going to do it better. I thought she was great the first yeah. five minutes. Don't yeah. ask me. And so now keep in mind, I gave that song to Simon Cowell. I get an email in the morning from someone in his office going, Simon sent this for me to listen to. It's okay. It doesn't go all the way for me. If, if you have more, something else, send it. And I, it was my favorite email I ever wrote back. <laughs> That's okay. I was in the studio last night with the biggest artist on the planet. <laughs> Funny enough, it went all the way for her. Smiley face. <laughs> send. One other person you worked with in 2011 was a very young, but maybe even bigger star in the music scene at that point, who was just kind of hitting the scene. And that is one Justin Bieber, who oh, yeah. was probably what, like 12 or something yeah, at the some, time. He was a kid. Yeah. And the song that you guys ended up doing was Born to Be Somebody, which was part of the movie tie-in yeah, album, the, Never Say Never, the remixes. the end song of that. Yeah. The end song. I just wonder what your impression of this guy was. Like, is he actually a very talented oh, guy? Yeah. I think he's super talented. Okay. So here's a funny little story though. So remember I did you haven't seen The Last of Me yeah. and um, Born to Be Somebody. So they both got nominated for Grammys that year for a song written for a movie. And the age difference between Cher and Justin Bieber was like almost 50 years. Yeah, probably. I was like, wow. I just thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> See, I write for everybody. That's, oh, so you're saying they were both They were both, both nominated. Together. Yes. Oh, my God. So it's like... Well, you, yeah, you cover the spectrum. Yeah. That's amazing. So, but at that, you know, there people She could have gone out with them. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that's God. the way that she, <laughs> Sorry, well, a few she does more like years. the younger men. Yes. But I mean, I guess I'm just really curious because he's one of the first examples of somebody who I guess like as you get older, you don't get the music that younger you do. Right, but right. a lot of people don't get like, why do younger people love this guy or love this person? I think he's talented. I think you do. Yeah. Has the celebrity, you know, around him, the insanity do you think you can survive that when you start that young? And, I don't, you know, it must be really hard to, yeah. to like, think about how hard that is. You have everybody around you, whether it's him or any other star like that, everybody yeah. is on your paycheck. You know, how much you're going to say to them. I mean, you're lucky if you have somebody honest that's going to say, hey, you know what? better stop doing this or you're going to really get in serious trouble or whatever. Because they, they could just go, all right, you're fired. Right. And all the sync of fans can come in, you yeah. know. And I genuinely feel bad because I see, not necessarily, you know, Justin, but I've been around other artists through yeah. my career and I, and I see it and I just, like, part of me feels pity for them. No one's really there. And by the way, I'm, I'm always honest with people. But part of the problem was, like, with somebody like Whitney, that wasn't happening, right? You've seen a lot of I've people I've seen a like lot of that, that. yeah. But then, but then that might be another scenario where... You can only do so much. You can put someone in right. rehab ten times, and if they're if they're not gonna yeah. get better, they're not. Gonna, you know what I mean? Because yeah. so, some of it's up to themselves, but you can't enable them. But Whitney, that that voice was silenced. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. All right, four nominations in the Crazy. last five years is incredible. Number seven, eight, nine, and ten. I want to cover the first one we're talking about is Grateful from Beyond the Light for the movie Beyond the Lights, performed by Rita Ora. 13 years after Oscar nomination number six, here's Oscar nomination number seven. Now, you want, can I tell you a funny story? This Please. has to do with you. So, so, no, for real. So I did I did the song for the movie, Rita Ora. It was the director's choice. I had other ideas, you know. Mm. There was no support from the artist or yeah. her label, to be honest. Wow. And which is, fr I don't know. I, all, all she did was tweet about it once. <laughs> I'm like, wait, but why aren't you working the song? It's a hit song, you know. Right. It's like, oh, God. And so you had your Feinberg forecast, <laughs> and it was in there. Yeah. Grateful was in there. I think it was number five or something. For real, I, I swear to God, you were projecting nominations, right. and there was no one else projecting that. Like nothing had happened with that song, really. 
So I don't know. Like I was like, wow, you had you had your ear to the ground on that, and then it got nominated. And I didn't pay you to say this. No, right? I, no, I swear to God. <laughs> no, I swear to God. Remember, Jeff? Well, I appreciate you saying that. For real, I, was I'm not, very, I swear to God. This no, is like, I, for I real. appreciate. And it was a beautiful song about self empowerment. Yeah, basically it was a looking, hit record. Yeah, and, and it's looking at somebody. It's it's I guess essentially. Be like, grateful for all the things that that messed you up and that fucked you up. You're well, going. Right. You know what? So Thank like you. If, if somebody like Justin Bieber woke up tomorrow and said, "Jesus, look what." I got into, I want out of this scene of celebrity and music, whatever. I just want to be a normal person, but I'm still grateful for what I've learned from it. That's essentially what the song is. Yeah, it's grateful for anything that, even things you don't know, things that you're going through at the time that are really hard and are impossible or really challenging. And you're going, you know what, had I not gone through that, and I could relate to that in in my life with things, Mm -hmm. you know, that maybe were uncomfortable, but hey, you know what I learned from that? Now we come to the trilogy of the ones, three of them the last four years, that could be thematically grouped because they're all about real world issues and real world applicability. The first one is Till It Happens to You for the documentary The Hunting Ground, which is about sexual assault on college campuses, performed in the film by Lady Gaga, I guess the the as I remember the end credits. Yeah. And, and it was a, the and in the movie as well there's a little a little yeah. yeah, snippet. How does a documentary, low budget essentially documentary, pre Me Too we should say and pre yeah, That song helped up, me too. Help absolutely. Yeah. Nobody was really talking about uh, Cosby was the one thing that yeah. we were aware of. And I remember kind of, because we had you and Gaga on the podcast when it was new. You were yeah. one of the first episodes, and we're, you guys were both incredibly open about what drew you to this, yeah. personal experiences that you'd both had, but it was not like everybody was talking about it yet. No, and that song, people say that that really helped kind of kick in the Me Too movement, because I think music is such a powerful force. I always say that like it's powerful because it goes right to your heart. Like you don't, you can't think about it. So music moves you. If that song was in a movie, you know, that came came and went in a weekend, right. the hunting ground in February or something. Right. And at the time, honestly, the label didn't want that song to come out because Gaga didn't have an album coming. Right. And she was, I think on, what, what, I forgot that TV show, American Horror Story, one of those, oh, right. you coming know, soon, yeah. she was, she was working on that. And um, nobody wanted that record to come out except me. <laughs> So they didn't want it to – the, the song is in the movie. That's going to yeah. happen whether they like it or not. But you're saying they would have rather held the single They would have rather like it for kind of, it did it, or let it go away. No, they wanted it to – it was in the movie and then nothing's going to happen. It's like, you know, it's nice and it's in the movie. I knew what that song was. I was in the studio with her. I saw her amazing vocal and her that how great she produced it. And you knew her before that? Yeah, I'd met her a couple times. And when I called her to play her the song, I had just heard she had – um, had been sexually. She talked about a Howard Stern. Yeah. I go. I'm going to take a chance here, and I'm. So I called her. I played on the piano, and I got back on the phone. She was crying. Wow. And she goes, I want to do this, but I've talked to my manager, and I'll let you know tomorrow. So I go. I got. On, I go. I'm going on a plane. She was in New York. Yeah. I literally landed. It's either going to be yes or no, and it was a yes. So you went to New York to have a face to face with her, and just go over the song, and and go over arrangements, and hear what she heard, and talk about it, and everything. And then she did it for the movie. She did just her that record's so beautiful. It's it's like her soul yeah. is. To this day, that's I think an Oscar performance for the all-time ages. Yeah, absolutely. You know that, that they'll look just at the year after the Sound of Music yeah. performance by yeah, her. Yeah, which was great, but yeah. that that took it to a whole no, other level. Absolutely. That was with those, but that's I'm kind yeah. of getting ahead of myself. But when she did it for the movie, it's like the label, like no one was going to put out. Like in, I remember like going, but wait, but it's so great. Like yeah. I I just you know, so I don't give up. Mm-hmm. And so I called the producer Paul Blavin. I said, Paul, we need a video. Without a video, 
were dead in the You're water. Saying, like a music video to put on where, like just, an MTV. Or yeah, something. just some, just get it out there, yeah. just because the song is so powerful. We had the right video, and I called Catherine Hart, and he he goes, "I'll help. I'll get it financed." And I go, "I'll put some money in." So I put, mm-hmm. you know, ten grand of my own money. Yeah. Catherine Hardwick was going to China or something the yeah. next day. She goes, "I go, I'm coming over." She goes, "I can't do it. I don't have any time." You guys knew each other from where? yeah. Well, other I just things. met her like yeah. you know one of these this time of yeah, year, yeah, and we became really good friends. She's really good friends, man. So I went to her house and. I go, I'm coming to your house. Kind of like, I didn't want to take no for an answer. Right. I go, I'm just going to play you the song. I'm not going to send it to you. Yeah. I play her the song. She goes, fuck you. You know, <laughs> fuck. Because she knew she She stuck. knew she goes, I have to do it. Yeah. And so she got, so she put her own money in it. She got like Nikki Reed and all these actors to do it for free. And it was so powerful. And Gaga's not even in the video. I'm not, yeah. I don't even know if they knew it was being done at the time, yeah. you know, but... You didn't want the song to die, and you also felt the song could help people. I thought it was a hit record, too. I yeah. thought it was a powerful... I thought it was every bit as great as, like, I don't want to miss a thing or something. And every time I'd play it for somebody, they would, like, be in tears, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to let this die. I'm not going to let them get their way. It's not going to sit in a documentary that came... Great as the documentary right. was, it came and went in five minutes. Like, you know, great. Some people refer to this video as, like, a PSA. You didn't like well, that, Well, they right? made us call... <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Okay, so the label and management at the time, I guess they didn't want her to have a video once they kind of knew what was going on. And it's not a PSA. It's a genius piece of art that Catherine Hardwick did. By the way, I don't know, what's the limit on shorts for for an Oscar? That should have been... been. That was really a genius um, video. It it was the acting and the storyline. I mean, just the cool thing about that song and the video is even in Gaga's performance where she starts out kind of slow and then she gets angry and then she, uh, and then she, at the end, she's like, you know, it's, that's how it is with in the video where they're like, you you see these kids, what they went through at the end, they're marching down those hallways. It was so powerful. And then literally it came out, you know, I I think I sent it to Oprah and she tweeted it out and it like, it got like 5 million views in three hours and Gaga's not even in there. So it just, and then that kind of got... And we should be clear though, correct me if I'm wrong, but like my sense was always that Gaga personally was very into and supportive of the song, but the label was just being a little yeah. restricted. Oh, yeah, Gaga loved the song. She played it ever. I saw her at the PGA Awards playing well, that was it. After, this... No, that was after, though. After so, the video. Yeah, that was after, because yeah. the, the video yeah. leaked, leaked, quote, unquote. <laughs> I wonder who helped with that. Right. But I, <laughs> um, <laughs> things happen. Right. But um, but I had help, because my, my friend Bonnie helped me right. a lot with that. But no, Gaga always loved the song. Yeah. I think it was just they were overthinking it yeah. and all this. A movie, song from a documentary or whatever. Right. I get it. But I never gave up on it. And so, and anyways, once the video quote unquote leaked and then I sent it to Oprah and then you know five million views in three hours or whatever that thing went on fire and I remember and Gaga called me and she was crying she was oh my god I'm so happy my fans I'm getting you know tons of like because on Twitter people were just you know the song is saving my life right right now and you know and then it got me too started so it's just like you know look I'd had my own experience with being molested when I was a kid and I never really talked about it Mm -hmm. I mean I think I told my mom later later years I never told my dad my dad probably would have killed my friend's dad uh, this you know, is when you said you were like 12. I was 12. And I and terrible. I remember being at the, the Times Talk yeah. um, in New York yeah. and Gaga and, and um, Amy and Kirby, the directors. Yeah. And I, as I blurted out, like, I was molested at 12. I'm like, <gasps> to a room of strangers. Yeah. And I don't, it just kind of got me talking, too. So it's just, that's a powerful that song. It became infectious. Like you said, and the whole society it, suddenly started to... Everybody started like going, yeah. going like, oh, yeah. And even in that room in the Times Talks, I remember going like, how many of you... Yeah. Have had things like that? Well, everybody in that room raised their hand. Yeah, it's amazing. No, earlier you mentioned that there had, aside from because you loved me, there was one other time when you thought you were going to win. And I'm 
yeah. guessing it was this one. It was. Because I remember. You had that at we number all, one. No, we, I think everybody thought. And yeah. what, uh, no, everybody, I, like, everywhere I went, like, that's when she embraced it and she was playing it everywhere. Got everybody, it, yeah. yeah. And, and I like, guess the thing that I took away is that it's just a challenge. Songs are nominated by the music branch of the Academy. Yeah, that's yeah. only people that yeah. know about music. Yeah. Then the final round, it goes to the entire Academy. And many of them have not been as diligent about watching documentaries. Yeah, they did. You see the the hunting ground, and, and you look at the um, the visual. It looks like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and most of those people, and there are a lot of men. They're not gonna, you know. I mean, you know what I mean. But or, more than anything, they they can only they say I can only pick from from what you movies know. that I've seen. And oh, there's a Bond song. Right. Exactly. And then you have like a studio. You had was it Sony? Yeah. You know, working that, and you had, you know, which is there's the weird irony. Harvey Weinstein's company put out The Hunting Ground. How right. weirdly oh, ironic that? is that? I know. Well, you know, he also I, made the documentary Bully. I know. I know. Right? Isn't that <laughs> weird? You can't even like make no. that up. But uh, and now in hindsight, maybe that's why he wasn't working the songs. He wouldn't put any money in a campaign. And stuff. We literally, you know, did it on our own. I did it on my own, as the, usual. The thing that I felt sorriest about, I remember, and I think it will, one day you will be able to laugh about it. So at the Oscars, usually I'm one level off the ground. They have nominees and their families and everybody are right, on the right. ground level. The nice thing about it is you have within your peripheral vision all of the nominees. So at the moment that oh, the winner is called, you can see, you you know, you see you the see winner, you see everybody. <laughs> no, it wasn't that you were crying. It's just that, because like you, I was confident that no. it was going to be you. Did you hear and like I a just, big, like, did it, was there like no, there a sigh? there was a bit of a gasp in the yeah. room. So they I, say, uh, whatever the song was called from, from know, Bond movie. Remember it? And the, there's a bit of a gasp in the room. Yeah, and I, 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 will no, just, I thought that was in my head. No, no, no. And, and I just will, <gasps> like, remember you kind of almost like doubled over. And it was the no, moment was like, where I thought the best, the most of Gaga that I've ever felt because you were sitting next to each other and I think she she was a little comforting and, yeah, and nice no, she about was, it. She was and really I was cool. I thought that, you know I was be, upset. I don't blame you. It was like when the whole world's telling you finally after thirty yeah. years and eight nominations or whatever it was at that yeah, point. Yeah, and that I'm not saying this in an egotistical way, but yeah. it kinda deserved it. That I, no, that was I, a mo- that, I thought it was great. You know, I, I wish they could do was okay, you guys get to vote after the performances. Right. Because oh it killed right? it, the, it killed. It's like, okay, you know, Sam Smith, he's cool, yeah, you know, yeah. but you saw one of the best things ever no, when those kids amazing. came out. They really no, it's I mean, tr- you know, I told her when you know, she had had her own sexual yeah. assault story. And I said, you're going to, when you're on stage, you're going to kill him. And I remember looking in her eyes. You're going to kill. You're going to kill your, your sexual, your assault. Oh, the person. You're going to like, you're going to, when you're on that stage, I remember this one moment. And I, when I look back on the video, I saw it again, where she did. And she went to such a place in that performance. And she hit a note in full voice, which is impossible, but she did it. And I remember just the room like people just stood up and no, like I, I stood up for like 10 minutes no, or something i, I was I looking was... around watching grown men crying absolutely you know steven spielberg they were they well were we crying. should remind you know that what we're saying she was surrounded by on stage were actual victims actual survivors yeah. or whatever of uh of sexual assault Who'd written and things on their arm yeah, you're and... not alone you're kind of like what the video did they kind of you know what Catherine had yeah people no, do it was amazing and the other image of that particular oscars that i won't forget is that what, uh, and the winner is? I won't no, forget well, that. <laughs> no, that was the one we've already talked yeah. about. But that at the end of that song with the huge standing ovation, the segment ends, they cut the commercial. commercial. Now you've got, I don't remember, maybe a couple dozen survivors of sexual assault who are up on the stage. Yeah. And I don't think it had been fully worked out like where they were supposed to go at that point because it's not like there suddenly are right. a bunch of seats in the audience. So they were kind of like hustled down onto the, you know, the area right in front of the stage, right in front of the front row of the audience. 
and I'm sure you were probably back with Gaga or whatever at that moment. I was probably like just or zoned shocked. out or yeah, shocked. I was, I was, I was but you know, Brie Larson, who had played a I sexual assault that. survivor in Room for yeah. which she would win that night, yeah, hugged every yeah, single one of the survivors as they passed her in the Isn't front that row. Great? I did so hear that about was pretty that. Amazing. That's beautiful. The second to most recent nomination, number nine, was for Stand Up for Something from for the movie Marshall, performed by Andre Day and featuring Common. They're, so basically you hear they're making a, a biopic about Thurgood Marshall. It's going to be directed by Reginald Hudlin, yeah. who you dealt with probably at the Oscars. The- I was frustrated because I, I, I had done something for, I'm not even going to say what movie it was, yeah. and the director, and, and everybody wanted the song. This was the year before that. And I happened to be having lunch with my friend, and um, she got, I, I said, oh, I'm so bummed out because this is the perfect song. for the, and, and she goes, oh, you should... He, my cousins wrote this movie about Thurgood Marshall that Reggie Hudlin mm-hmm. is directing. I go, oh, I know Reggie from, um, he you know, the yeah. yeah. So I met, you know, I met him there, and he sh- he sent me the script, and I wrote stand up for something for that. And this was really uh, an anthem in the sense of the same way that like some of these '60s call to action, you've got to literally stand up for something, and 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 so appropriate now. Totally, but you what know? were the ones that you're thinking of as inspirations for that? When you're on that one, I, I listened a lot to um, "Change Is Gonna Come." Sam Cooke. Yeah, yeah, Sam Cooke. I thought Andrew Day would be the perfect artist for it. Yeah. And when then I saw the movie, she actually plays like a Billie Holiday character, yeah, which yeah, is so yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, what if you put like a rapper on one of those songs? Because those days there weren't rappers. No. So if you kind of juxtapose two, yeah, you know, two very yeah. yeah. It's like and, Black Klansman with Charlottesville yeah, at the end. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, that was yeah. so well done. Yeah. And good for Spike Lee yeah. and Terrence Blanchard. And I remember, and, and I was on a plane to Sundance, and Common was in back of me. And I go, you know, this Wait, is like so a, you had thought you're thinking we need like a, a rapper before. like Common. Yeah, and he's sitting in back, and, and I'm like, never want to waste an opportunity. No. <laughs> um, I start singing him part of the song, poor him, and <laughs> and he goes, oh, I love that. He goes, send me the song, and literally the next morning, I had all these missed calls from him, That's and he great. wanted to do it, and we well, did that. I loved during that season. I guess it was just a season ago. Uh, when you know i did a q a with you guys and i think we're looking at just the room and it's like on the surface you guys look like an odd couple but yeah. on the other hand these are two great musicians and he's like the i'm he's i'm like the wild he's very articulate yeah, 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 yeah. and i'm like you know fuck this. <laughs> it was kind of it was kind of a funny combo right we had we, i had fun with him no he's a great guy uh, he's, he's great and him and andrew worked so hard like yeah. they were everywhere with that song and the only problem there was that the movie didn't get seen yeah, yeah. that's the you know man you just i think the last by the way the last three yeah. i guess the new one it's not gonna go the last three um, movie studios I did songs for when all went bankrupt. Really? <laughs> or like, or they don't exist. I know, well, not bankrupt, they don't exist. Like yeah. Weinstein for Till yeah. It Happens to You. Well, that's not Relativity. Yeah. And they owed me money too. But they, whatever. They, 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 um, they don't exist. And Open Road, I don't know if they're around anymore. Well, and RBG is Magnolia. Yeah. Or who's, yeah, Magnolia participant in CNN. I don't think any of those. Yeah, CNN's going to be yeah, around, I think. Anymore. All right. So that brings us to Astronom number 10 which is for I'll Fight yeah. for the documentary RBG about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Another Supreme Court judge. And yeah, you got a th- that's your other... Uh, and do you know that story? Which story? Before I was born, my dad's last name was Wolfberg. Oh. And dealing with anti-Semitism, you know, he was having a hard time, you know, getting clients and getting indoors to sell them insurance. And my mom suggested Warren from Chief Justice Earl because Warren. Because of Earl Warren. Yeah. 
I'm not uh, sure if he was a chief justice at the time. He later did wow. become one, but well, you could have you also know. become Diane Brandeis. Okay, yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound Jewish. <laughs> it doesn't sound as yeah, that's right. It's not hiding it as much. Yeah. Well, so your second of the potentially uh, Supreme Court justice trilogy was RBG, um, and you got Jennifer Hudson to do this. Yeah, one. you know why? Why she was so perfect for it is when you see the movie and you see Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's very how soft spoken she yeah. is, and her mom said, "Always speak like a lady." But what she said was loud and and it resonated and and it was powerful you know and you see her working out so she's like she's a diva i thought i want to get the vocal avatar for that who's the diva jennifer hudson that's so funny you You know to think to think about ruth bader ginsburg and come up with jennifer hudson right the opposite because it's like if 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 ruth bader ginsburg because and and she loves opera so she does love big voices but so if she could pick somebody you know because it's not an operatic song but Okay, it'd be Jennifer Hudson, it's a big voice. right? Yeah, yeah. And Jennifer, you know, I think she she that song resonated with her because she was going through some stuff at the time, mm-hmm. and she goes, "This is not only do you write this for the movie, but this is it sounds like you wrote it for me." And Here what about that? Was that one that just kind of poured out, or that took a lot of effort? They all take effort, but sure. you know, I got inspired, you know, and mm-hmm. and you know, from just, seeing the doc. Yeah, and you know, yeah. So just wanting to write the song that could capture her essence. And you know. so when and, the you know the documentary has been, and I'm glad they got very well received, and, yeah. and the thing, and by the, the way, the, the, a movie that somebody saw. Well, what that's a the, that's what I want to say because, like you know, the the one notable difference between this and the last documentary that you did a song for is that unlike the Hunting Ground, unfortunately, you know that wasn't seen. This one really was did a lot of business at the box office, and unlike who, the Hunting Ground, was nominated for best documentary right. feature as well. I'm so happy for so, yeah. um, the Julie Julie Cohen and Betsy West. She's more important every day. I mean, she really is a real life superhero. Yeah. And every time we hear something about a health issue, like you could just hear everybody's holding their breath. Yeah. Like she's, you know, and then this, you hear she's working from the hospital. Like yeah, it, it's unbelievable. She she's. I mean, she's going to bounce back, you know, because she has to. But isn't it crazy to think that a movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg did $14 million in That's the box great. office? Isn't it's that great? No, it's But I think it's also because the love story, too. There's a lot. She's so inspiring, everything about her, especially, like, who can work. She's 85, and she does that. And One of the songs you guys are, or one of the songs that you are up against in the category is By Your Old Pal, <laughs> Lady Gaga. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, shallow from the film Stars Born. And <laughs> I believe... You also contributed to that film as well. Can you just yeah. give the, the? I did. I did the most un Oscar song in that in that movie, which was "Why Did You Do That?" AKA the butt song. This is the one that <laughs> she's singing when uh, um, she's on SNL. When she's on SNL and, and the, Jackson Maine comes to see her, and he's he feels that he she's sold my out. Line. He, he quotes, quotes my line. line. He quotes my line. He goes. Why did you come around here with an ass like that? <laughs> well, guilty. That's my line. So I can go from writing songs for Ruth Bader Ginsburg right, to, to do writing songs. Just yeah. your ass like that. Anyway, no, it's just amazing that again the the range is incredible and people can tell that from everything we've been talking Wouldn't about. Wouldn't that have been funny if that got nominated yeah. and then done as a ballad <laughs> by Celine Dion? Why'd you come around with an ass like <laughs> that? Really, all very melodic <laughs> with strings. Right. It's like, ah, I don't and you and uh, you and Gaga working together again there. That would be the, the yeah. follow up. To... I'd be like, well, here's our new version of Till It Happens to You. I'm not sure it has as much social relevance, yeah, maybe but not. people would enjoy it. But maybe not. All right, <laughs> let's close with what we call. Rapid fire, just the first thing that comes to your mind. We're going to be okay. brief with each one of these. Okay. Who's the greatest songwriter of all time? There's so many. Irving Berlin. I, well, you don't, you don't, I'll, I'll uh, you know. There's so many. Well, I know you've, you've my, talked my, about my some My dear other... friend, Holland, um, um, Lamont Dozier, so Holland Dozier, Holland, Carol mm-hmm. King, Drake Goffin, Stevie Wonder, Brooke Backrack, Al David, Prince. 
Oh, there's so many. Man and Wild. Man and Wild. Who are my Facebook friends? I mean, really? they're, they're my Twitter friends. <laughs> they're awesome. They're hardcore animal people, too. Who's the greatest singer of all time? Oh, wow. God, there's so many. Greatest singer I ever worked with was Whitney. But there's so many. Man, there's some great singer of, of all time. Yeah. Uh, Billie Holiday, Frank Sinatra. I don't know. Who's the greatest singer who hasn't sung a Diane Warren song, but you most wish had or would? Adele is a great singer, and I, she demoed one of my songs because she loved it. I wish she would release that. And then we did a couple of songs I'd love people to hear, but she, she's great. But, but I, I wish I could go back in time, and I wish I could have written a song for Frank Sinatra. Yeah, that would have been cool. cool. Yeah, the... I, did, I wrote a song for Willie Nelson this year, oh. or last year. It was a movie that nobody saw, too, that I wish people saw. It's called The Last Movie Star, that Burt Mendel's last movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, why didn't that movie company push that movie? It was great. Whatever. What is the best Diane Warren song that wasn't a hit but should have been? There's a lot. One of them is a song called Numb by Pet Shop Boys. None by Pet Shop Boys. Numb. N-U-M-B. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. We, people can, can access it. Yeah, it's a great song. But I have a lot, I have a lot of them. Right? Oy. If all Diane Warren songs were accidentally deleted from existence except one, which oh, would you God. want to be I saved? I don't even want to think of that. I'm not even going to answer that. Well, you, let's rephrase it. Oh, I don't what is the to... recording of a Diane Warren song with which you are happiest? I'm happy with so many of them, but off the top of my head, I'm just going to say... I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah. And Bad finally, it, if you had not... I don't want them to be deleted. <laughs> if you had not discovered or been allowed to pursue your passion for music, where would you be today? Dead. Seriously. For real. I wouldn't be alive. Music saved my life. When I wrote How Do I Live, I was also that was my love song to music. Yeah, I wouldn't be around. I don't know how to do anything else. But, you know, my mom, you know, it's not like, like she was trying to, to you know be mean or something, you know, what is the real chances that a girl with no one in the music business in her family is going to make a, a living at making music? Really think about it. That's I'm a one. I know how lucky I am. She's right. I wouldn't I, w I wouldn't I didn't have a plan B. I don't know how to do anything. I don't I mean, and I, I was like with some shady characters. I who knows where I would have gone. It wouldn't have been good. I think you just found your Oscar speech for when the yeah. day comes. Yeah. I, it's not if it's when. <laughs> well, but someday. Thank yeah. you for doing this. I really right, appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.